This is your brain. This is your brain in a returned body. Any questions? If so, we got a ton of them coming up on this 28th episode of Resurrection Revealed. Welcome back for another full discussion feedback show of the Resurrection Revealed podcast. We're a proud member of the Noodle Mix Network and sponsored by our affiliate links over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. Thanks again for joining us. We've got fan theories, discussions, and mind-blowing stuff to share with you later in the episode. This is all about Season 2, Episode 3, entitled Multiple. And this is an unofficial podcast and blog by and for fans of ABC TV's Resurrection, recorded October 14th, 2014. I'm Wayne Henderson. And I'm Troy Heinrichs. It's great to be back with you guys. Wayne did a great job on the Initial Thoughts podcast earlier this week. So we are really great to be digging into all of your answers that were submitted through the fan feedback channels. Oh, absolutely. Mind-blowing episode. I know I've used that phrase before. But I think it certainly applies. Just fantastic stuff. And of course, anything we talk about in this episode, we appreciate all of you commenting over at the show notes, which can be found at resurrectionrevealed.com slash 28. That sounds about right, Troy. Remember, we talked last week, Wayne, about paying attention to that previously on segment. And this week we happen to see Carl again, kind of playing back his I'm tired sitting up in the deer blind. And then we also saw Barbara. So I was really excited to see April Billingsley again this week. Yes. And you were spot on saying we need to pay attention to every second, even the intro. And I'm buying in 100 percent. I'm going to make sure that I am fully aware when I push that play button. Now, I thought it was a really great use of video editing, special effects, whatever you want to call it, how they do the opening credits of Resurrection and it has the river bubbles and then did yes. you notice how it kind of dissolved right into the egg cooking? I don't know if that was intentional or if the eggs were supposed to mean something at that point or if they just thought it was a really cool editing effect. I think it was just a cool editing effect unless I should have been reading more into it, but I just thought it was cool how it looked. You're watching and it's always a little bit different. And I'm wondering if there's anything special we're supposed to pull out of the fact that, you know, one of the yolks was broken that they were cooking for breakfast, but the other one was not. Yeah. Like multiple bodies. One body was broken. One body is whole. You know, does that tie into the baptism conversation and the fact that Bellamy is having this instant reaction still to his shooting and having this nightmare, which I thought was a really also a big thing to call out that the returned do sleep and the returned do dream. They still eat a whole heck of a lot as Maggie's <laughs> having breakfast at the restaurant because there's nothing left at the house, but, or the apartment, but it's clear that the return do have the ability to drift off. The question is, is it truly sleeping or is it just drifting off? I do not know yet. I, I think they must get at least some sleep. And the fact that it was such a vivid dream that at first I wasn't sure that it was a dream. And I'm thinking, what is going on? What is, whoa. And then not to jump to the uh, too far ahead, but then with Carl and Mikey, Mikey was sleeping in the chair too. And I assume through the conversation that they have when he's standing by the washer with his butt chin, that he is like, well, I'm hungry and this food's getting expensive. So we're assuming Mikey has been returned before. 
which means that again, Mikey does have the ability to sleep. So is that something different or something that's changed in the environment that they do sleep now because they did not sleep last year? You've got me stumped on that one. I wonder if it just depends on who the returned is or age brackets or their condition when they died. It, it could be most anything, but it is definitely different than the few returned that we really focused on on season one. Now, we've already hinted this season that the first season of Resurrection seemed to want to skirt the issue of the religious undertones, specifically because it's called Resurrection and what that all implies. Right. So far, season two seems to be religion all up in your face. I thought that was really, really sticking out again this week as we actually start off with the whole baptism sequence in the river, which I thought some of those camera shots, first of all, were absolutely gorgeous. I mean, getting down to Atlanta to see that river would be totally awesome, even though the show takes place in Missouri. But I thought those camera shots in the opening sequence of the river were just beautiful this week. Very, very well done. I mean, for a television series to achieve the level of some of the scenes that we've seen and, you know, it's not just how beautiful the Atlanta area is, but how it's filmed and how it's put together. It was quite a visually stunning scene starting right off with that baptism in the river. And it took me a minute to figure out, wait a minute, those are all people that have returned. So it's almost like Pastor Tom has a church that he's forming, not exclusive to people that are returned, but the returned have a place that they can go and feel at home. Yeah. I think that was really key to bring out that even though we think most of them were all returned or cause he said something about like my first returned baptism, he was kind of talking as the collective we, but I think he was really trying to bring forward the point that all are welcome, including the returned. And it just so happened that Barbara was the first one to get baptized. Exactly. Now, it was interesting where they did the actual baptism because the river clearly kind of has like a washout point at where they were. It, it seemed like the water would collect and kind of pool there. It could be like a swimming hole. And it would make sense then, of course, that if somebody were to, say, dig up some bones in an old factory, carry them in a burlap sack and throw them over the side of a bridge, that these bones would wash up in kind of this pooling area. And that's exactly what happens when Barbara steps on the skull. That just, it, and I know I touched on it a bit in the initial uh, reactions episode, but, you know, you're trying to have a nice, calm baptism, and all of a sudden there's a skull amongst other bones, and it ruins the mood, number one, but uh, it was jarring. It was visually jarring because I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that before. Well, and what an interesting way to introduce this, because we've seen the scene kind of play out in the previews and some other things that we've seen online. And at first we were kind of thinking, okay, does this go back to when the river and the dam broke and that story that Maggie was telling uh, back in two rivers in season one, and are these bones been there a long time? And it never even occurred that someone would dig up and move the bones like grandma did. And because they had to literally specify that as she's digging through and talking to her dad, you know, these bones have Missouri clay on them, but there's no algae. So they're freshly dumped. Yeah, that was good for them to explain that because my first viewing of the episode, I missed that particular line for whatever reason. And then I did. I actually watched it twice in a row on Sunday night. And then on the second time, I'm like, was this scene here the first time? How did I miss it? And so now it made sure that we knew 
those bones were moved. And then, of course, as we find out later in the episode, aha, Grandma Langston, what is she trying to cover up? And I like that they actually did some science, uh, not science, but police work in this episode. They actually used a flow meter to determine how fast the river was moving so that the sheriff could actually find out where the possible drop points might be in order to get the bones to where they were based on how much water residue was inside the bones. So a lot of medical, a lot of police work. It's almost like a procedural, yet it's a genre television show. With great attention to detail, I might add. Now, one thing that just kind of lightened the mood, and I don't know if we're supposed to read into this or not, but I want to bring it up because it's possible. When we've got Jacob playing the video game, the the zombies, and it's just kind of noisy. And the fact that uh, his dad says, you know, can the zombies be a little quieter or something to that effect? I thought that was cute and it made me smile. But the fact that they have quote unquote zombies and we're talking about people coming back to life on resurrection. Should we read more into that little video game? Well, I think so, because it was zombie ninja attack, I think was the name of the game. And he said, could the ninjas be a little more quiet? They are ninjas after all. And the fact that Henry is focusing on the ninja part and not on the zombie part, I think speaks volumes to where his mindset is at compared to season one, where he really didn't believe that Jacob was Jacob. And now he's totally bought into the fact that his boy's back. I mean, he even kind of gives him the little kick under the table, like, hey, watch your tone with your mother. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is really interesting because think about when they were parents previously, they may have reacted more like grandma did to sheriff slapping him across the face or cracking him one for talking back. And here they're actually acting more like 2014 parenting style, just giving him like the little, you know, Hey, watch yourself. That's a good catch. And it was definitely warranted to kind of give him a little nudge about uh, his attitude later in the episode, because he was being a bit out of line. What I really, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. It's this, triangle between Jacob, Margaret, and Lucille. And the fact that she's like, well, you know, I can't find anything in your pantry, which is typical mother-in-law stuff. But then (laughs) they're arguing about the school thing. And then of course, Jacob's like, yeah, grandma's right. I should go to school. School's cool. Let's go. And why is that? Is that because of their connection has returned or is that something deeper? Does he resent Lucille for yelling at him still? What's going on in this triangle between the three of them and how will that play out as the season progresses? I think it just has more to do with the fact that not necessarily that they're both returned, but that Margaret, as well as Jacob, both are thinking along the same lines. It's almost like their uh, thought focus has kind of skipped a generation because I think with or without the grandma being there, I believe Jacob's getting kind of bored of just staying at home all day playing video games and wants to go to school and try to fit in. It's, of course, going to be a little bit tricky at times, but uh, The fact that there is a bit of that triangle and age wise, you know, Margaret does seem to be, even though she's the grandmother, she appears to be a little bit younger than Lucille. And so it's got to be really complicated for all three of them. But I can tell that even long before Jacob came into the picture, when when Margaret was alive the first time that her and Lucille had a situation with each other, I think. So switching gears over to the bar and breakfast. Now I feel bad that Elaine's kind of been relegated to the background character at this point. You know, she's just been seen in the bar except for the one, you know, gallivant that she had with the sheriff in the, in the premiere. But 
she talks about this knife thing with Maggie and how she washes the knives, but not the forks and the spoons. Now, Maggie, from what I understand, she's not really a surgeon because I was like, okay, she's a doctor. So surgeons might have a thing with wanting clean knives because of that. But she's not really a surgeon, is she? She's just a general practitioner. I believe so. And I did catch that line jumping out at me for it seeming to be in left field and not really sure how it ties into it or how far back, you know, perhaps it's even when she was a teenager, long before she got into medical school, that she might have just had a thing about making sure the kitchen knives were washed off after they were used, but not the other silverware. For me, it makes sense because the knives would be a lot easier to clean than some of the other utensils, but I don't think that's it. <laughs> well, and, and are we focusing on the wrong thing? Because then at the end of the conversation, she says, well, maybe she's trying to impress you, implying the you know potential relationship that might be budding between the two of them, which of course will be extremely broken when she finds out that Bellamy was the one that called the government lady, because we can't use the, the naughty word on the podcast that was on his phone, which was very clever. <laughs> True. And I still don't really think that she works for the government. No, at least not the American government. Oh, I didn't even think about a potential other government. But yeah, she's not a government person. I still say NIH is involved somehow. But she does seem rather elegant. OK, let's get a little deep. So we have Bellamy wondering about his body and what's going on. And surprisingly, he confides in Pastor Tom. Don't call me Pastor. I'm just Tom. And he actually says, well, I died. And they go into this deep philosophical conversation about baptism and how you have to wash away your old self in order for your new self to be born or to, you know, clean or become in you know, for a little religious stuff, right? Cause my kids go to parochial school and they're actually right. learning about baptism right now. And one of the things that they learn about is why do we use water and the spirit in this way? And it's because we have to wash away our old sins in order to be righteous and pure in front of God, which is interesting when you tie that into Margaret's conversation with Maggie in the, in the clinic, when she's like, you know, Fred's right. You shouldn't trust us. You know, we aren't worthy of coming back. What did we do to deserve this? And so is there a reason why they're back? Do they have to atone for some past transgression before they can truly disappear? Because when you disappear, it's done. But if you leave behind a body, you can come back. That's an excellent catch because another scene that seemed a little odd, but I'm sure it was there on purpose was the fact that Margaret was saying that in the clinic. And I thought, what? It's kind of odd for her to all of a sudden start basically confessing in, in a way, but I think it all ties back for her when she found that those bones were still there in the closed down factory. But at the same time, I totally bought into this whole discussion that pastor Tom was having with J Martin Bellamy and it was well acted and well filmed and just deep and meaningful. And then of course they have an even better scene together later in the episode. Yeah. And then he was talking about how, I thought this was a really great line too. And this could be, you know, take it in, in a leadership situation, take it in a personal growth situation or take it in a return situation that in order to grow, you have to put your past to rest. Your old self needs to die. So it's almost like you have to grow up, you know? So did Henry need to grow up? Did uh, Margaret need to grow up and think differently about their lives? And that's why Jacob's there 
to help them along in that journey. So is there a double meaning with that? One that where they need to correct their past and put it to rest in order to move on. And then of course the return themselves have to put their past to rest because it seems like all these returned have had situations except for maybe Jacob where they needed to correct a problem. Caleb with the bank robbery, uh, Rachel with the suicide, Mikey tormenting his brother, Margaret with whatever she was behind at the factory back in the thirties or later, maybe even just protecting her husband. Maybe she wasn't involved in the fire or whatever, but she was protecting the family, which makes her an accomplice nonetheless. So because of that, they have to put that past to rest in order to move on and eventually disappear. Great points. I have nothing further to add. I think that sums it up. Well, Troy. So what do you think of Marty and his little adventure to stick it to the lady? (laughs) I thought that was very clever. I mean, I could see them buying into it, him just basically calling and leaving that voicemail about finding another return. Where should I deliver that person? And of course, uh, his phone immediately rings. He assumes it's them, but it's not. Uh, But then he gets that text message with an address, which basically wasn't an address we need to memorize because we find out resolution to this in the uh, scene a little later on that uh, the guy shows up in the black van and well, Marty, he's on top of things here. Now, Randy, I believe was his name. Oh, that's right. (laughs) He thought that was an odd name. I don't know why. Exactly. Now we saw Randy in Chicago when they were at the bar was Randy the guy that he struggled with that shot him in the closing episode of the season opener? I'm not positive. I know he was in the scene and whether or not he's the one that actually shot him, I don't think it's going to end up really mattering, but uh, I would not be surprised if uh, he is the one that pulled the trigger. Cause I think that would make this scene a little more poignant, if you will, because if he's looking at his shooter face to face at that moment, is that registering in his head? Does he approach the situation differently? So I'd have to go back and watch the the season premiere final episode, final scene again to find out if Randy was the one that he was struggling with or if it was somebody else. But I know Randy was tailing him in Chicago at that restaurant bar. And it kind of makes you wonder how many other cases like this are Randy and the quote unquote elegant woman. I hope we get a name for her next week. But at the same time, it seems like they they are not phased by any of this at all. So let's move over to Fred in this episode. We we find out a lot about the way he processes stuff through grandma and this conversation she's having with Maggie about how even though he seems closed up, he's really feeling on the inside. And the fact that he was there where Barbara's body washed up while she's getting reborn. There was some really great things with his character and his acting this week from Mr. Craven because... Number one, he makes this joke. I don't know if you, I don't know if you caught it, but he kind of joked with Maggie right there uh, that about, you know, maybe she thought that the first baptism wasn't, wasn't good enough. So he's almost quipping like, okay, I believe that the returned are the returned and saying it kind of lightly, but joking at the same time to try to get back in Maggie's good graces. And then Maggie's just like, I got work to do. Leave me alone. (laughs) But then he grabs the shoe and then he actually delivers the shoe to uh, Barbara's house or wherever she's staying, hopefully not with Sam because we haven't seen Sam Catlin at all this year yet. 
And I wonder if we're going to see some kind a, of, you know, coming together or forgiveness or something between the two of them as the episodes continue. Yeah, I was trying to figure out the shoe delivery scene. <laughs> like you said, maybe it's just a different type of olive branch that he's putting out there. And she was awfully mean to him when uh, they first came face to face at the end of last season. So I would like to see a resolution because it looks like both of them want to continue living in Arcadia. So they need to just find a way because it's a pretty small town. They need to just come to grips one way or another. And then he seems to have a relationship start to form again with Maggie. Maggie, you know, Hey, I know you were trying. I know it was hard for you to be there. And then, of course, he goes on his little mission to go find the burlap sack or whatever it was and comes back to the clinic. The big question I have for you, Mr. Henderson, is the car pulls up, the tires screech really loudly, fast banging on the door, right? Maggie comes yes. to the door. So the thing that was running through my head was, okay, the sheriff is supposed to be working with the elegant woman so that his town doesn't become a military state. We got that in the opener. And he's supposed to give Bellamy support and resources. So my question to you is, even though he was coming because he got Maggie's voicemail, was he really there as a diversion tactic for them to come in the back door to steal the bones? Whoa. I did not even think that he was involved in any way in that big scene at the end of the episode. I would not be surprised since, like you said, they do kind of have a bit of a backup agreement happening, Fred and the elegant woman. But he played it off really well. If he was totally unaware that they were going to come break in and take those bones away, he played along as being totally surprised and shocked by the whole thing. So I bet we get a final answer to that big question of yours, Troy, uh, next week on the show. I mean, the only reason I mentioned that is because of the tire screech and the fast knock. Like he's like, oh crap, I'm at the factory and I forgot I need to go do this thing because they're coming to get the bones. And because of that, that's the only reason that runs through the back of my mind. I hope that he wasn't involved and that it was truly just Bellamy making the phone call, uh, which of course then leads to the question of who does Maggie trust? Does Maggie blame her dad in the next episode? And then Maggie confides in Bellamy and then finds out it's Bellamy. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out with Maggie and Bellamy's relationship. Yeah, one thing's for sure, Maggie and Bellamy's relationship is going to have a rift very, very soon because I have a feeling this particular secret is going to come out and whether or not Fred gets pulled into the whole mix of the mess and then she has to distrust two men, uh, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, wow, what an ending to an episode. I did not see that coming. I thought they'd get to test out the bones and the uh, blunt force trauma injuries to the what was it, the head or the arm? I forget. It doesn't matter. But uh, I wanted them to get a chance to try to piece it together more. So, of course, the other part of the question is it, whether or not she really works for the government. What are those people going to do with the bones now that they stole them? And then I'm going to let you discuss a little bit about our good friends, Carl and Mikey. <laughs> now, this was total comedic relief for this very deep episode. It's almost like they had to throw it in here. Because everything else was so deep. What were your thoughts about Carl and Mikey? Well, Mikey is not big brother of the year. <laughs> this guy's he's a piece of work. 
And basically, I think he deserves what he got because he is just a rotten human being. We thought Junior Rennie was a bad person on Under the Dome season one. But this guy, he's like everything rolled up into one. And even though, like you said, Troy, it's kind of comedic relief, there were a lot of questions to consider. And it helps you when you think about their scenes together. I think it helps piece together some of the other mysteries, like with those bones that were found and other things on the show, because I got the impression, especially with the call out at the beginning of the episode previously on Resurrection, we have Carl mentioning that he is really tired, hasn't been getting much sleep. And then a little later at the side of the river, when he shows up, Fred tells him, you look terrible. You know, well, I've been I've been busy. I wonder how many nights has Carl already been staying up way too late, burying his annoying brother, Mikey, over and over again. Well, and I thought it was really great how they played out the scene initially, because when he was talking about, well, you sound British. At first, I thought Carl was the returned. I've been, you know, you know, haven't been sleeping well lately because he isn't sleeping because he's a returned. And then he's like, oh, you're talking British. Who talks like that? I have to change my trousers. (laughs) And okay, maybe Carl's been around the block for a while and he has some, you know, old English, you know, in him. And then as it kind of went along and then Mike, Mikey's like, well, I'm really hungry all the time and all this other stuff. And uh, oh, okay. Mikey's the return and he's taking care of Mikey. And at first I was like, Mikey's just a big brother. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, I defended you. I took care of you and gives him the slap across the face. And it, it's typical big brother stuff, you know, but then when the whole steak scene, throw it on the floor, lick my boot kind of thing, mm-hmm. I was like, man, how does he put up with it? And then when he actually shot him through the chair, I was like, number one, you're a police officer. So what is really stressing you out that you had to go to that level of, you know, basically murder one. And then how many times has he done it? That was the next question that popped into my head. Is it that he died once came back? Mikey's just, or Mike, sorry, Carl's been tired just because he's been taking care of Mikey and he hasn't actually killed him before. But then of course, when he's burying him in the basement, and he hears him again. It's like he's not shocked or surprised. Right. Not even at first. You know, you hear the Mikey's back again. And he's what happened to the chair? It's a mess. <laughs> and it looked to me like there was at least two other grave mounds underneath there. I'm not positive. I if I had to guess, I would think that he's killed Mikey three times so far. And hopefully he doesn't waste too much time taking out Mikey this time because it can't go on. He's going to ruin Carl's life. I mean, how's Carl going to put an end to it? Is there a way to stop the return from coming back over and over? Uh, does Carl have to leave town? Uh, do they just, ha- does Mikey have just a certain number of times he can come back like the doctor on Dr. Who? Well, and the bigger question is, is when do you stop doing the same thing, right? Insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result. I mean, if he's come back more than once at this point, what is he going to do next? You know, if he can't kill him, if he can't murder him and he still comes back, why doesn't he just leave? Why does he just go live somewhere else? Go live at the station. And I think Mikey would track him down. I think he, Carl ultimately may need to leave Arcadia altogether, or maybe one of these times Mikey's going to get a jump on Carl and kill Carl. And whether or not he gets to come back to life, it's going to be really deep to figure it out. But even though it was such a violent scene and dark and creepy and weird and Mikey is just annoying as heck, 
it was kind of clever how they had that almost like cartoon music playing in the background on the TV while the whole scene was happening. And then, of course, the big question is what happened to their parents? Yes. Did they kill their parents? Did their parents just die of a drunk driving accident? You know, what was the situation there? That's the interesting thing that we kind of just gloss over in their relationship when you get to the end of it, because then you're focusing on Carl killing Mikey and burying him in the basement. But what, what happened to mom and dad? Why was Mikey helping Carl out with that? And does that have any impact as to what Carl's status is long-term? Yeah. Cause Mikey was really holding that over Carl's head saying, you know, basically remember how I helped you out and we were hiding the secret about mom and dad. What is that secret? They're going to have to give us an answer to this one. Well, then Henry is playing with the blueprint maps of the factory, has this conversation with Lucille. Do you think it's crazy? I'm assuming he's thinking about starting the factory back up or at least a small portion of it. Why he would be looking at the blueprints, though, I'm not sure. I don't know if you have a thought on that at all. I have no thought. I think they're just planting some seeds there that they may not even revisit for another episode or two. It's really strange that Henry would even be thinking about reopening the factory. Maybe Henry does have some insight to some of the dark secrets from the past that he's been totally hiding from everybody. I would have thought that uh, Lucille would be asking him, what are you looking at those blueprints for? Well, and I really liked how he was looking at the blueprints as they're going through the voiceover of Pastor Tom giving this kind of eulogy at the unmarked nobody grave. For Agent Bellamy. Uh, now, Pastor Tom did say that he was reading a Bible passage from 2 Corinthians, and he said in the show the fourth verse of chapter 16. And I was like, wait a minute, there is no chapter 16 in 2 Corinthians. What's going on here? True. Very so, true. So I did I did reverse it and looked it up, and there is a 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, which actually does read exactly what Pastor Tom was reading. Uh, it says here that uh, starting at verse 16, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Then we get to verse 18, which Pastor Tom was still reading, but he's reading verse 18 as Henry is looking at the blueprints. Verse 18 says, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. Those were said exactly at the same time as Henry's looking at the blueprints. So that tells me that Henry was looking for something that wasn't really there because he kept looking page after page after page. So he's almost looking for something that isn't on the blueprint or to try to make jog a memory or something. So I thought that was very interesting that that exact text was read while he was looking at the blueprints. Uh, interesting. It finishes up for, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So that was second, second Corinthians four, 16 through 18 from the new living translation. Amen to that. So yeah, Just in, a interesting use of words in that scene. And then of course the visuals that you see along with it. Everything about that scene was A++. It was so well done. And the fact that Bellamy, after seeing his body, then he goes back and talks to Tom. Don't call me Pastor Tom. I'm just your friend. 
And then they do have that uh, ceremony, the little mock funeral, basically without a body and a, a unmarked cross. But we, we meaning us, the viewers, as well as Bellamy and Tom, know that it's Bellamy's. Uh, very poignant. So good. So it sounds like overall, we think this episode is pretty up there. What kind of a rating would you slot in there for multiple? Oh, my goodness. For multiple, I'm giving this one a 10. That's right. 10. 10 out of 10 family secrets. I am with you. I gave it a 10 out of 10 deep conversations. Man, just such a if every episode of television could be this good. I know there was just something about it. And it, the first time I watched it, it almost didn't feel like an episode of resurrection because it felt different in some way. And I think it was because what they're really trying to do with the show is they're not trying to focus on the sadness part of death or the, you know, zombie part of death. They're really trying to make you feel something hopeful in this. And even with somebody like Fred, who is basically at the bottom of his barrel, you know, now he's trying to give up drinking again and he's trying to like the returned again, you know, it's really trying to show that there is some hope in this despair and they're really focusing on hope. And I think that was something that really stuck with me this week and kind of really just hit a nerve somewhere that was like, Oh wow, I'm really watching something powerful here and I should really maybe enact some of this thinking in my daily life. I think it's fantastic advice to take with you throughout the day. There was just something special about this multiple episode. And not just because there's an actual Pastor Tom doing pastory type stuff during the episode. It's not a cliche or anything. (laughs) No, though, on a side note, and we talked about this a little bit in season one, it might have even been on the episode where we interviewed Mark Hildreth was it's it's nice to see a television show that doesn't make the religious leader out to be some fanatical nut like we've seen even on Under the Dome that we do the podcast for that show as well. Yeah, I think just really great writing, really great acting, really great scenery shots this week. Overall, a nice bow. And I'm really intrigued to see where it's going to go from here. Oh, man, I cannot even imagine, especially. I mean, a lot of it was semi expected as far as following the path we've seen. And then the Carl and Mikey stuff was just out there, but still fantastic and important to the overall story. Well, if you think we have some great theories, we have lots of great fans that have even more interesting theories coming up in the fan feedback section of the podcast. Well, as you know, we have great listeners in the fan feedback community for Resurrection. And of course, all of those theories can come in via our feedback page over at resurrectionrevealed.com slash feedback or via the telephone number plus one nine oh four four six nine seven four six nine. Like our first theory this week from our friend Neil and Bowie. This is Neil from Bowie calling into Resurrection Revealed for Resurrection Season 2 Episode 3 Multiple. Dem bones, dem bones gonna walk around. Dem bones, dem bones gonna rise again. We no longer have dry bones. We have bones in the river. Last time we saw Margaret revealing bones from the fire in the factory, she's moved those to the river. Why did she move them? Does she have other plans for the factory? Did she want these bones to be found? There are two sets of three identical skeletons. We are learning about this at the same time as we see Mikey bully Carl until he can't take it anymore and has to kill him, and then Mikey returns again. No idea how many times they've gone through this, but we know 
It's more than once. I think the 1935 Bones Return people were probably killed out of fear and ultimately burned in the hope that they would not be identified or return again. The mysterious group now has the bones and they'll be studying them to search for some markers to explain how and why these people returned. Question about wanting to see your own corpse. Well, if I was being haunted by dreams about it, thought that by seeing the body would answer a question and end those dreams, then yes, I'd go for it. Uh, Bellamy takes Tom's words to heart about putting his old self to rest. That's it for now. Looking forward to more Resurrection. Onward. Neil, thank you so very much. Fantastic thoughts this week. We really appreciate them. And we get to hear a little bit of Neil's American Idol audition with his uh, fabulous singing there. And he brought up so many good points. First up, Troy, what'd you think about the fact that perhaps grandma moved the bones, put them in the river, hoping that they would be found? That was a mind-blowing one for me. I was assuming that she thought, I'll move the bones, hide them, they'll wash away, nobody will know the wiser, because she's all about protecting the family and the family secret, which I like the fact that he comes up then with the concept of what that secret might be, because as we know, there was a blunt force trauma and strangulation on the skeletal framework, as Maggie pointed out. So were these people killed because they were afraid of what was happening back in the 1930s. And then was the factory or something happening with a fire to then cover up the evidence. And then the fire got out of control, which affected more and more people as we've been alluding to over to the last episode with the dream. And of course, Arthur uh, coming back. So I think all of that ties together really well. I think it's going to be interesting to see where this plays out and what kind of secret and who's all involved. I know. Great new ways to think about some of the things we saw this week. We also got this email uh, from listener Joe who says, okay, Joe here, but where do I start? Or Carl has his own return to contend with. And I don't doubt that it was the first time that he shot him. The only way they seem to disappear is if you don't feed them. That's like the returns silver bullet. Grandma Langston is hiding a huge secret. She dumped the bones in the river Maybe by doing so, she thought they might return. And once Fred found the piece of burlap cloth, he knew where it came from. And once he found the bone, he knew who dumped them. And why he did not tell Maggie that he found the bone is ironic how they bookended the show with quotes from the Bible. I found the last one intriguing, but not as much as the prayer said over Bellamy's makeshift grave. He turned in the bones to the government woman because he needed to have closure on his previous self. And I think Jacob going to school is going to open up a huge can of worms. More later, Joe. And more excellent nuggets in that. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, he's talking also about a potential thing. You know, maybe she thought, if I put the bones in the river, they'll come back, because we were still thinking that the river has something to do with the returned properties and why it happens, or why it's capable of happening. And then the fact that Pastor Tom even alludes to that, you know, as the you know nourishing waters run through Arcadia, so they replenish and nourish you. So I don't think that line was said, you know, just off the cuff. It had some deeper right. meaning other than just the baptism. Fantastic stuff. And I had no idea that this might be a secret. Him talking about basically the kryptonite or silver bullet for the returned. If you can find a way to maybe starve them, they'll 
die off sooner than a non-returned human would because uh, they need so much more food that they'd be easier to kind of starve to death. What do you think? Will that come into play? Well, the only two people that have disappeared were Caleb and Arthur. And Caleb, of course, wasn't getting as much food as he needed because he was in jail. And Arthur, I'm sure, wasn't getting enough food because he was sick in the woods and then brought into the clinic. So maybe it is that if they don't eat, they disappear. And it's just as simple as that. Hello, this is Jeff Roney from the Once Upon a Time Fan Podcast at onceisfrozen.com. And you are listening to the Resurrection Revealed Podcast. Thank you so much, Jeff Roney, for putting that in there, sending that to us. Um, focused a lot on, you know, Once Upon a Time comes on right before Resurrection Sunday nights. And this year they've tied in the whole Frozen concept and kind of doing it in a nice way. It's not as blatant as just throwing in a bunch of Frozen characters and hoping that we'll buy it. So check out that show. Basically, Sunday nights, tune your TV to ABC and watch Once Upon a Time, Resurrection, and then some juicy revenge. Revenge is always a good thing. Yes. Now, Ray wrote in and Ray has, again, lots of great theories this week. It's all about Jacob's past is where Ray starts out this week. Lucille has already died and Jacob has already vanished. He remembers and thus questions grandma. Remember Jacob's dream last season where he sees Caleb crumble to the ground and then he sees his hand begin to disappear. Those things have already happened. I believe that there are alternate dimensions in Jacob's past. Some event in Jacob's past calls a fold or if you would call it a ripple in the dimensions. And it also caused them to cross each other. A person in one dimension can meet people in another or even meet himself. If dead, see his own body. Not all the dimensions were at the same point in time until the event caused them to cross over those dimensions cross in Arcadia. A good explanation of quantum mechanics, string theory, and more can be seen on uh, Morgan Freeman's Through the Wormhole. Now focus on what Pastor Tom recites at the end of this episode, but not in a, but in a non-religious context. Think of it like time and alternate dimensions rather than the religious aspect. We still don't know who those bones belonged, or should I say belong to, because maybe they're back already, the autopsy seems to show that it's actually two people. There are three skeletons of the same two persons making the six skeletons in total. And because of that, these people potentially have been returned before. I think the grandma is protecting someone else. I can't see her murdering a man the way the autopsies have seen, have shown. She says we're not saints and says that she, Jacob and the others don't deserve a second chance but I don't believe that she's a killer. Jacob going to school should cause some big problems. The best acting of this week goes to Omar. This episode gets a nine and a half for me. Ray. Ray, as usual, total flip-flopping how we should look at this. And I could see that tying into it and very scientific man. Ray, you, you know, your stuff and thanks for sharing it with us here on resurrection revealed. Great. What do you think about that side of it? And it, it, it's really funny because it goes back to Lost and how a lot of these shows are trying to become whatever that next Lost event might be. And we all said from the beginning that Lost was purgatory. 
So with this show, the first theory that comes into your mind is, of course, they're all they're all already dead. And we're seeing this show take place from the perspective of one person. So his theory about that this already happened and they're all dead and we're seeing a, a version of Jacob's memories is potentially quite plausible. The questions where it starts to get weird is when it starts to fold in on itself on this quantum mechanics thing and the crossing points happening in Arcadia. But then if you take other works like say Stephen King's The Dark Tower, where there are other worlds than these and one primary world that keeps time focused, it is quite a possibility that the central nexus or the Dark Tower in this case is Arcadia. And also from the Dark Tower series, we have the man in black telling the gunslinger death, but not for you, gunslinger. And is that exactly what's happening here in Arcadia? We'll have to wait and see. Lots of great theories. And we had a returned person. We didn't hear from Lucifer last week, but Lucifer is back this week. And Lucifer says, hey, Sir Wayne and Sir Troy, I am back. Just so busy finding human bones. And yeah, it's more fun than finding dinosaur remains. And to know what he's talking about there, you'll have to listen to the Under the Dome radio podcast. Yes. What's the deal with Carl and Mike? I mean, I thought I was watching a different show for a minute, but yeah, poor Carl. I now am actually hating Bellamy even more because he betrayed Dr. Maggie. And that's a rude favor to do to a very sweet Maggie. The conversation between Margaret and Maggie is worth a ponder. Is she cueing that Maggie herself is actually a returned? Yay, Jacob is now finally back to school with his childhood friend principal. That's cool. Plus, it's not awkward to, to mistake your parents for grandparents because that happens from time to time. Hang on there, Fred. I think that he's only holding on by a thin, thin thread. And that's sad. I mean, all of the characters, he's the one that I actually adore the most. And I agree with him. I think Fred is the deepest character on the show and has a lot to offer. And I think we learn more about the rules of what's going on through Fred's eyes because he's just that deep observer. Interesting. Overall, I love the episode from Pastor Tom's baptism ceremony, quoting John the Baptist to Barbara's shoes being found to Margaret and Maggie's convo, Tom and Bellamy's confession session, Maggie's investigative reporting to Bellamy's betrayal, kind of Judas Iscariot like, if you will. And of course, Pastor Tom's monologue is just pure perfection. And by the way, Mark Hildreth, AKA Pastor Tom favorited my tweet not just now, but from season one as well. And I think that's just a very kind gesture for him to do. Those who say the show is slow moving, brace yourself. Until the full discussion, Sir Wayne and Sir Troy, let's wait for Rebecca Pine to be returned alive and kicking. Ha ha ha. <laughs> oh man, Rebecca Pine, science teacher extraordinaire on Under the Dome. Uh, Lucifer Jr., thank you so much for, for that. Very well done. And interesting to say that... Uh, He's kind of hating Bellamy right now. Well, Bellamy always looked out for the Langstons first in season one. So now we are seeing a different side of him because now he is looking out for himself because he has this quest, this desire to see his body. And I wonder if that's a one and done thing or if that's something that being a returned, you now focus more on yourself and the things that you didn't get accomplished the first time around. And because you had that second chance, you have to, start looking at yourself and what you want to do. Kind of like Caleb was looking at that second bank robbery because it's something he had to do. He had to get that money to make sure his family was protected and safe. I don't know. I I'm hoping this is a one-time deal that Bellamy's going to go back to protecting the Langstons and all of that. 
However, I think the damage is so deep that he may not get that opportunity once the word gets out. Well, based on the way he has her in the cell phone, I'm assuming that it's a one-time deal. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so many great things in this episode. And yeah, the, the whole school thing is going to be interesting because who would have thought that your childhood friend from when you were about 10 or 11 years old is going to be the school principal and you're still going to be 10 or 11 years old. And who would say that a swing set is a good thing to be replaced by a rock climbing wall? I think the swing set is safer. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen some of the swing sets out there? True. A lot of them need replacing. That is for sure. And I just think it's fun that uh, he addresses us as Sir Wayne and Sir Troy. Because <laughs> I never thought in my life I would uh, have that moniker on a podcast. Want to remind you the Resurrection Revealed is not affiliated with ABC Television or Plan B, at least not yet. And as an unofficial podcast, we do have some costs keeping the show running. So if you'd consider supporting this fan podcast, there's a few ways you can do it. You can do all of your Amazon shopping for yourself, for others, all of the above. Just go to our affiliate link at resurrectionrevealed.com slash Amazon. And we want to make sure that you get in touch with all of us. So just head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com. And all of our social links are up there at the top. You can find the Facebook page, a Twitter account. That's at Resurrection Pod. Be sure to follow us there and chat with us during the show on Sunday nights. But most importantly, subscribe to the feed. You can do that in a few ways. You can either do it through iTunes. You can do it through Stitcher. Uh, we have a link for TuneIn, iHeartRadio. Everything is there. All you need, just head on over to resurrectionrevealed.com. And of course, if you'd like to help us out, you can donate a few bucks to the podcast to keep it running over on the side. That sounds like a great deal. Well, from all of us here at Noodle Mix Network, we want to thank you for listening tonight. We do appreciate you taking time out of your day to spend it with us and talk about this great television show. And until we see you next week, I'm at Troy Heinrichs. And I'm at Wayne Henderson. Until we return again, see you next time on Resurrection Revealed. Resurrection Revealed is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Get more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx especially the Once podcast. If you're already watching Resurrection, you should be watching Once Upon a Time right before it at 8 Eastern and Pacific, 7 Central, and then listen to Once, the unofficial podcast and blog and forum with theories and talk about ABC's Once Upon a Time. All this and a bunch more of great content is waiting for you all over at noodle.mx.